Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, Steve has prayed. But Lord, I do pray. I do pray, Lord, that you would guide my tongue, guard my heart. Allow me, Heavenly Father, to speak what you would want me to say from these particular verses today as we continue our sermon series. Lord, I just ask that continued anointing bind through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, two weeks ago, Malcolm brought an amazing message on Resurrection Day on Easter Sunday. And I want us to actually go back to that particular day, to that Resurrection Day today, because I want to talk about a journey that was taken by two followers of Jesus. They would leave Jerusalem, they would go on the Emmaus Road to that village of Emmaus. Do you know, when I started to look through scripture, it is very interesting to note how many times the word road comes up, or roads, or roadside. In fact, there are over a hundred scriptures relating to roads, to incidents and events that took place on roads, whether it be to an individual or individuals, whether to a group of people, or whether to the whole nation of Israel. And of course, for each and every one of us, we're on this road of life, aren't we? We're walking that journey through. We're walking through that salvation that we've experienced, that Christ has come into our lives. And as we journey through life, we're going to come across situations and circumstances. Before I actually get to the Emmaus Road, I want to give four brief examples of a road. Firstly, there's the right road. Who likes to walk on the right road? I want to walk on the right road. I want to do the right things with the right people at the right time. That's the right road. And when we look through scripture about the right road, and that's my first road, the right road, the book of Genesis chapter 24, we find a story about Abraham. Abraham has sent his servant out to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And the servant goes out. And he's directed to the right location at the right time and finds the right person, the woman, Rebecca. And the servant, of course, is excited. His journey has been a correct one. It's been a successful one. He's gone to that right place. And so the servant talks to Laban, the brother of Rebecca, and he's explaining the journey and what has happened and where he is now. And this is what he says, I praise the Lord. It's good to praise the Lord. We've done that this morning. I praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the wrong road, no, led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Let me tell you something. How would we feel if we was a servant? Okay, off you go. Go and, find, go and find a wife for my son. You know, you journey to the right place at the right time. You know that's God who's leading you because he has sent you on the right road. But we also know that as we journey through life, we are going to come across situations and circumstances. We are going to sadly encounter loss. Because we live in a fallen world. We can't avoid it. There are going to be those situations and circumstances. You know, for some 17 years, when I conducted funeral services, dealing with so many families through their loss, walking with them through that journey, it is a road that's dark. It is a road that's painful. It is a lonely road. I've I've walked it myself, as I say, with so many families over those years. I've walked it also myself with the loss of my grandparents, with the loss of my parents, with close family members, with friends. Tomorrow would have been the eighth birthday of our first granddaughter, baby Al. It was not to be. So we have this road of sadness. 
And the Bible talks about that road of sadness. Again, going to the book of Genesis. And here, Jacob, in Genesis 48, Jacob is talking to Joseph. He's explaining about the death of his wife, Jacob's wife, Rachel. Rachel was on a journey with Jacob. They'd left Paddan there en route to Ephrath. And there, she gives birth to Benjamin, her son, and sadly dies Jacob was explaining this to Joseph. And he says this, So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. That's Bethlehem. So we have the right road. We have a a road of sadness and loss. But we also have a road of God's care and protection. I love that whole process of God's care and protection. How many times have we been in situations when we wanted this and we wanted that and we wanted this and we wanted that and you want it now, 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 but actually it doesn't come right now. If you trust God, it won't come right now. Do you know why? Because God cares for you. God protects you. And maybe God's taking you down a road that you've got to go down to make you strong enough so that you're equipped enough to take what God is going to do in your life. That could be that promotion. That could be a relationship that you thought was going to lead you to here. But actually, it doesn't. It doesn't work out. And you're left heartbroken But because God knows. God's got the right person for you. God's got the right job for you. I can talk about that because of the work that I've done in the past where I've been in situations where I've wanted this and it hasn't worked out and I've been disappointed. Even before I was saved, situations happened. And yet I believe that God still had his hand upon me even though I didn't know it, even though I didn't acknowledge it at that time. But now when I look back, I can see where God had his hand upon me. We have the... The aspect of, how do you know that's true, Jeff? How do you know that God cares for you? How do you know that God protects you? Because the 23rd Psalm says this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does the shepherd do? He cares, he protects, he leads. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, God will take you on that journey for that particular purpose, to care for you, to protect you, to lead you to that right place. When I think about what God did with Israel, if we think that they were in that bondage for over 400 years and then they're set free and they start out on that journey and God's care and protection is upon them even at the very beginning. This is God's road of care and protection. Just as an example, Exodus 13 verse 17, Israel has left the captivity of Egypt And this is what we read. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. That was shorter. (laughs) How many of us want to get to C very quickly from A, but we don't want to go through B? I'd rather do this rather than... And then that way. My youngest son, he's not here, he's in America, so I can say this. Marcus, my youngest son always wanted to get from A to C without going through B. And the amount of times I tell him, son, you have to go through B to get to C, irrespective. It's always a standing joke with us. But here, when we think about Israel, they've been in captivity for 400 years. They're not equipped to what is going to take place, what they're going to be confronted with. But God's with them. God's going before them. And this is what it says. Though they could have gone through the Philistine country, that was shorter. 
God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road. You know, he kept them out of harm's way. He protected them. He cares for them. That's God's road of care and protection. And then lastly, very, very briefly, is the road to remember. I love this because in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 7, Moses is instructing the people of Israel to remember God's commands. And this is what he says. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your heads. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down and when you what? And when you walk along the road. I love that. Goes on to say when you lie down, when you get up. But you know, hey, how good it is to remember what God's done in our lives. You see, roads have significance in all our lives. Not only what we see in scripture, but as we go through life ourselves. And when we think about the emotions that we face on our, our journey in life, when we think about the sermon series that we're going through, let's just consider these two who we're going to meet very shortly when we read those verses in Luke chapter 24, the two who took this journey on that Emmaus road. Think of the emotions that they were going through, that they'd already experienced. They'd seen the high of Palm Sunday. Hosanna, praise the Lord, laying their cloaks down as Jesus rode on that donkey into Jerusalem. The palm branches being laid down for that donkey to walk across. The shouts of joy. They were there. They saw it. They experienced it. And then just a few days later, there is Christ arrested. There, in their mind, their Messiah. He is their Messiah. But of course, for them, they were expecting this deliverer of Israel. He's now been arrested. He's now been beaten and scourged. A crown of thorns on his head. Crucified through a trial. They've had to listen, they've had to endure to the crowd who shouted, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. They wanted a known murderer to be set free instead of Christ, an innocent man, their Messiah. They're all the emotions that they're going through. And now come resurrection day, hey, the tomb's empty, where's the body of Jesus gone? Just try and imagine what that must have been like for those people, those followers of Jesus, those disciples, all those different things that are going through them. And at times we go through a whole mixture of different emotions because of what we're confronted with, because of what we go through. And their humanity, these two particular individuals, one is called Cleopas, the other is unnamed. The Bible is silent. It doesn't say it was Cleopas and this person. I don't want to take anything out of context. But let's just say for one moment, it's Cleopas and Steve. It's Cleopas and Maxine. Or whoever. I look around. Or Cleopas and myself. We're on that journey. We're on that road. We're going to be walking. We're going to walk on that road to Emmaus today. Because I believe that the Emmaus Road, we can call it a road of encounter, but there's so much more in the Emmaus Road, which I hope we will find today as we read it together. So let's take this journey. Let's go on this road. We know that we've always had the right road. We've had the road that leads to pain and loss. We've had the road that gives us God's care and protection. This road that allows us to remember, and I'll probably come back to that. But for the moment, let's turn. If you've got one of these, as Dave Campbell said... I thought that was very funny, those of us here last week. For those under 30, 
this is a Bible. Everybody else, Steve did it this morning. <laughs> it made me laugh when he got his phone out and read off his iPhone. I'm going to go old school. I don't know if it's up here on the screen. Can it come up? Thank you. I'm going to read from the NIV from uh, Luke 24. I want to read the whole of those scriptures relating to this journey because it's important that we read God's word in God's house at God's time. Now the same day the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus acted as he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I love this. I love this story. You know, verse 14, it says that they were talking together. What about you and I when we go through situations and circumstances? I think we would have been the same. You know, as these two, we would be going, hey, why did this happen? Why did that? Why did they do this? How could they release Barabbas? What, what about, why, why did they do this? And all those things, I believe we would have been exactly the same. There would have been no difference. We was trying to get a grasp of what had happened. And maybe again, and you know, I'm not just talking about, sadly, when we deal with the loss of a family member or somebody close to us, but there may be situations or circumstances that you're confronted with that still cause you additional pain and confusion. I speak from experience, I'm not going to elaborate on it today, but there are circumstances in my life that I've had to walk through which were not uh, brought about by the death, but they caused loss and pain to me. And we do ask the why. We do ask the how. We do ask the what for. And so they're having this conversation and then they're joined. 
in their eyes by a stranger. We may think it's strange, but let's just go back to what Malcolm explained when he was talking on Resurrection Sunday about Mary Magdalene. There she was at the empty tomb. There was Jesus back. She thought, she thought he was the gardener until he spoke to her. Mary, Rabboni, she replied. Yes, she, she recognized him, but she only recognized him when he spoke to her. So it's not strange that Cleopas and his companion, Cleopas and you, Cleopas and me, didn't recognize. They were prevented from doing so. We could entitle the Emmaus Road as a road of encounter, but as I say, I think it's much more than that. So Jesus asked them, what are they discussing? They stopped walking, as you would do. But we get a further indication of how they were feeling. It says that their faces were downcast, not surprising under the circumstances. You see, the Emmaus Road and the event on the Emmaus Road starts here as such, if I may say so, because Jesus asks a question that he knows the answer to. In their eyes, he's a stranger. What things? <laughs> I think that's quite amazing, really. Jesus has been crucified. <laughs> he's, been <laughs> he's been scourged. He's, he's, he's had all sorts of allegations made against him. He died. He's resurrected. He's come out the tomb. And then he just says, What things? <laughs> What's also telling, if you noticed, and I've read it out to you, the two of them, you see, we've named Cleopas, we haven't named the other, but both of them are involved in the conversation. I find that telling, that both of them are involved in the explanation. Why? Because both of them have experienced that self-same thing. Both of them have been there during that particular time. They've got something in common, they're walking together. And so they explain everything to him about Jesus of Nazareth. But they had no idea who he was. And isn't it amazing, you know, that sometimes we meet people or situations and circumstances, they drop something on our toes, so to speak. How about this, Cleopas and his friend? Well, don't you know anything about this, Jesus of Nazareth? Where have you been? You know, all of Jerusalem's in an uproar, and you don't know anything about it. And then Jesus says this to him, How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things to enter into glory? I'm going to revert back to Easter Sunday. Malcolm said that Jesus told the disciples three times of his death and resurrection. They were aware of it, but perhaps it hadn't gone in, because sometimes we have to be told and retold and retold before things actually make and stick with us. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I think I'm foolish at heart at times because I don't always grasp the reality of what's being said. We have to go back and look at what God's word tells us. So verse 27 is a pivotal verse in the story of the Emmaus Road. It's not just a pivotal verse, it's a pivotal moment in the lives of Cleopas, his companion, and I would suggest to countless others over the years that have followed because this is what Jesus said. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all. And that's very important. I've put a capital A-double-L, all. Not just a few, not just one or two, all of the scriptures concerning himself. The talking of scriptures, Brother David, three weeks ago on Palm Sunday, again brought a, a wonderful message. If you haven't heard it, listen to it, to do with pride and humility. 
But I noticed David, as, as he sat here, he, he emphasized very clearly. In fact, if I remember rightly, he picked up his Bible and said, this is the living word. It's not a dead word. And I thank you, David, for reminding us. It's a living word. We're praying today. Carol was praying. <laughs> and she touched on the verse from Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the scripture that I had down. So I, I felt blessed that Carol you know, emphasized that in the prayer time. She was unaware I had that written down. Because the living word, this is what it's all to do with the living word. Let me just draw your attention to another scripture, if I may, just to emphasize this whole point about the living word, John 1.1. 1, 1. It says this, and remember here, the word is a capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There on the Emmaus Road, the real living Word is teaching them the living Word. Just let that sink in for a moment. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, you know, what I've just read out to you. This is the Living Word, Jesus Christ, the Living Word. <laughs> Explaining all the scriptures. In fact, if you look through what it says in the Bible, there are over 300 prophetic words in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, as they call it, relating to the Messiah that were fulfilled when Jesus was born. 300 scriptures. The living word, <laughs> telling the living word to Cleopas and their companion. He's a stranger. They don't realize that the Messiah is teaching him. They don't realize it's the Son of God teaching him. They don't realize it's the King of Kings teaching him. They don't realize it's their Master teaching him. They don't realize it's the teacher of all teachers downloading, as modern parlance would say, if you have a download on your phone, I'm just going to download this. I'm going to download this scripture. I'm going to download this hymn. Let me tell you something. How wonderful to have been with Jesus to hear him just talking about this scripture and this scripture and this scripture, starting in the book of Genesis. Number one. No, I'm not. <laughs> I won't go through 300. They hear everything to do with Jesus. What the scriptures say, what they prophesied, where he's born, where his ministry was going to be, how he died. How he rose again. I'm just going to pick four very brief ones. It's not a long message for me today. Isaiah 61. Having a ministry of binding up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I'm not going to read it all out. But in Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19, there's Jesus in the synagogue, takes the scroll, opens it up to that very scripture. Reads it out to those present. And what does Jesus say? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Prophesied, fulfilled. I love this next one, Zechariah 9, 9. Entering publicly into Jerusalem on a donkey. I wonder what was going through Zechariah's mind when God downloaded that into him to proclaim that your king, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. That's what happened on Palm Sunday, didn't they? See, your king 
comes to you, righteous, having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, fulfilled in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11, just alluded to it on Palm Sunday. Then, of course, that sad time, Isaiah foresaw, prophesied, beaten and spat upon. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. This is Isaiah 50, verse 6. Matthew 26, verse 67. Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, and that's what they do. Spat in his face, struck him with their fists. And lastly, from the book of Psalms, 22, verses 8 to 9. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him, since he delights in him. This is what the psalmist is writing. And there again, Matthew records in Matthew 27. And if you're making notes, it's verse 31 and 39 to 44. Again, I'm not going to read it all out. But the chief priests, the teachers, the elders, they mock Jesus. They mock Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. Four brief examples of those 300 scriptures. And there's more, isn't there? Born of the seed of the woman, born of the seed of Abraham, a son of Jacob, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, called out of Egypt, being called Emmanuel. His ministry commencing in Galilee, preceded by John the Baptist, rejected by his brethren, sold for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by a friend, lots cast for his garments, numbered with transgression, raised from the dead. It's my Jesus. My Jesus. I can't comprehend what it must have been. I just can't. I've got to, I've got to emphasize it again. Hearing scripture after scripture, confirmation after confirmation. It is amazing. It is it's just it just blows my mind. I'm sorry. It just blows my mind. That journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It says in the Bible, it's about seven miles. They complete the journey. The stranger indicates that he's going to go further, but the two, we know, persuade him to stay, to share a meal with him. It's late in the day. They go in. They're at the table. The stranger takes the bread. He breaks it. He begins to give it to them, and then their eyes are open. They recognize that it was Jesus, and then Jesus disappears from their sight. That must have been, oh my goodness. Here's the bread. Next thing, he's gone. You know, I mean, come on. That's my Jesus. I wonder what they felt at that particular moment. The sadness, the bewilderment, the downcast faces. I would say to you that the complete opposite was now taking place. Because what they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'm not surprised. 300 scriptures is a lot to get through. If anybody's familiar here with the life of one John Wesley, clergyman, theologian, evangelist, leader of a revival movement within the, what was in the Church of England, still is the Church of England, but it was known as Methodism. In fact, it later became a completely independent denomination, the Methodist movement. John Wesley was already an Anglican minister. He'd been over to America to preach. He was interested. He fellowshiped with the Moravians. There was a religious meeting, as it was called, 
This took place, they've got the exact day and time that Wesley himself noted it, the 24th of May on the 1738 in Aldersgate in London. It's about quarter to nine at night. He's already a minister. He'd already been out to preach and that there's something still nagging within him. As you read the account of what's happened, something then transforms into John Wesley's heart. The scriptures that are, are being looked at, the preamble from the book of Romans. I quote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Wesley says this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ. <laughs> Christ alone, that hymn that we sung. That's what Wesley said, how I did trust Christ. Christ alone, that is only who you can trust. Christ alone, you cannot trust anybody else to save you. My dear sister prayed it in thanksgiving. There is no other name given above heaven to man or woman by which we must be saved. It is Christ, Christ only. Hearts burning, hearts warmed. How wonderful. That's the effect of the living word, I believe, in our lives. What am I meant to stay for those two? All the things that they've been through. Now they've sat down, they've had bread, they've had a drink, and Jesus has disappeared. How would you be feeling? Would it be, I'm just going to sit here a little bit longer. <sighs> what about you, clear past my, my feet? are jolly well aching. That's a, a long old walk along that dusty road. Yeah. Hey, clear pass. What about all those scriptures Jesus gave us? What was your favourite? <clears throat> Silence. Oh, clear pass. What about the one about binding up the brokenhearted? You see, I was sad, Cleopas, but I'm not anymore. I've seen Jesus. I know he's risen. Bind up my broken heart. And then the other one. What about coming into Jerusalem on a donkey? Zechariah prophesied that. We were there. We saw it. We witnessed it ourselves. They could have been just sat there, having a bit more bread, having a drink. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say they just kind of kicked off their sandals and just hung around and had a good night's sleep and went back to Jerusalem the next morning. It said they immediately returned back to Jerusalem. That's seven miles. They just walked seven miles. They just did the download of all downloads. And now they're going to go back. And they go back and, and they share the good news. And what does that remind us of? It reminds us of the story at Christmas time. The verses that we read out with the shepherds in the field. When the angel of the Lord appears to them and pronounces and announces the birth of the Messiah. And the shepherds, where do they go? They go to the stable. They go to Bethlehem. They see Mary, Joseph and the baby. What do they do? They didn't go back to their flocks. They go and tell everyone what they had heard and what they had seen. They shared the good news. Because the Emmaus Road is a road that needs to be shared because of what it reveals. What about you and I? What about those things that have happened in our life when Jesus has shown up in your life? When Jesus shows up in your life, who do you tell? Who, who do you go and, and share that good news with? Gloria and I got saved July the 5th, 1982. 41 years ago this year. I remember going home and phoning my parents that very Sunday, Monday, it was a Monday, very Monday evening I phoned my parents, Mum, Mum, I've saved, I got saved. My mum then told me, 
Two weeks earlier, my older sister had got saved. There's another story there about how she dreamed that I was by the edge of the pit of hell and I got saved a fortnight later. My sister didn't tell me that for 20 years while my sister was praying for me. I knew that day that I was saved, but I went to bed that night. And when I got up next day, that I was a sinner, okay? I was a sinner, a big sinner. I'm not glorifying sin. I was a bad boy. How my wife ever married me, I don't know. Even though I was a police officer, I was not a good boy. But I'll tell you something, God did work on me that night when I went to bed. He washed me clean of all my swearing. I had one foul mouth. I say it to my shame. I was not brought up like that. I was brought up in a a loving home with good parents. I never heard my parents argue. I never heard my parents ever use bad language. The only time I ever heard a minor word come out was when something went wrong in the car. My dad and I were out fishing. I never, ever was brought up in a household. My goodness, I could swear. And swear I did. But I got up that morning and I'd been washed clean. Washed clean. God did such a work in my life. I went into Bethel Street Police Station because Glue and I were both police officers. It was the two to ten shift. I was like the two on the Emmaus Road going back to Jerusalem, walking to Bethel Street Police Station in my uniform. Hey, I'm a born again Christian. God save me. He's washed me clean. I don't swear anymore. The response I got (laughs) was less than charitable, was less than loving, was blunt, earthy, and contained probably the profanities which I used to so liberally trip off my tongue. Not in front of Gloria, but when I was with the people I was working with. They didn't want to know. They didn't want to know. I don't know if I should say this, but I will. I even had somebody come up to me and say, oh, Jeff, you're, you're only halfway there. You haven't got the truth. Yes, I have. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has set me free. No, 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 you haven't got the truth. Suffice to say, the individual who said that to me was a Mormon. His immediate reaction was, you're not there. <laughs> No, I was there. <laughs> no, I knew that I knew that I knew Jesus had set me free. See how the enemy wants to come in and rob and cheat and cause doubt. Even at that moment, even within 24 hours of getting saved, there was the enemy knocking at the door. What's that scripture? Crouching at the door, waiting to devour us. Last week, Dave Campbell talked about the Great Commission. The answer is Jesus. That's what David said. Then it is. It's a co-mission. Jesus and you. Not you by yourself. And if you think that's incorrect, then go back to the scriptures. Because that's what this sermon is all about. The scriptures. Jesus said, in the words of the Great Commission, surely I am with you always. Not now and again. Always. To the very end of the age. Or for those who like the King James, because I do, 
And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Not tomorrow or next week, to the end. And this is it. This is where I'm coming to about the Emmaus Road and what it reveals. And sorry, it's been a bit of a wiggly-woggly journey, maybe. It is a road of encounter. But there's seven points, just quickly, followed by another six. The Emmaus Road is this. It is a road that reveals the integrity of the prophetic word of God. I'll say that again. It is a road that reveals the integrity of the prophetic word of God. It is a road that encourages us to trust in the word of God. It is a road that strengthens one belief in the word of God. It is a road that alters perspective, understanding and faith. It is a road that transforms doubt, despair, confusion and loss to joy, hope, clarity and assurance. It is a road showing that Jesus is with you, whatever the situation. And lastly, it is a road showing the importance of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Because I believe we ourselves are recipients of that journey. We weren't there as such in person on the Emmaus Road, but we've journeyed on it this morning. We've highlighted the fact there are over 300 scriptures referring to Jesus as the Messiah fulfilled when Jesus was born. That's in the Old Testament alone that we see fulfilled in the New Testament. It's a word that encourages us to understand that strength of God's word, the living word. Because as I say, I believe it just wasn't the recipients that day, Cleopas and his companion, or the followers of Jesus or the disciples that they went back to Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago. Because every time that scripture is read, perhaps it would just bring another little light into the mind of each and every believer that the Emmaus Road proves what God is, what God has said, and what is going to come, and what does come. And ultimately, Jesus is coming back. Our King is coming back. Our King is coming back. We can rely on the Word of God. Why? Why do I say that? Because we can share the Scriptures ourselves, knowing the integrity of it. And that includes the prophetic. Why? Because it will encourage our walk. Why? Because it does strengthen our faith. Why? Because it does alter our perspective. Why? Because it will transform our doubts, despairs and hurts. And because it does increase our confidence, then we too have that confidence to share the good news of Jesus with who he is, not just among ourselves as a body of believers, but with those who have yet to know Jesus, those who have yet to receive him. There's a book that I've Ordered, I've just started to read it. In, in, in several of my Bibles, there are lists of the Messianic promises, maybe the first 40 or 50. But there's a book by Dr. Herbert Lockyer, no longer with us. He lived 98 years, born in 1886. A pastor, a writer of Christian books. I've got one or two of his books, but I've ordered this one, All the Messianic Promises of the Bible. And I opened it up. In the first preamble of the couple of pages that I read, Herbert Lockyer writes this. We praise thee for the radiance that from the hallowed page, a lantern to our footsteps shine on from age to age. It is the golden casket where gems of truth are stored. It is the heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living word. Oh, that blessed me. That blessed the socks off me. It is the heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living word.
I said at the beginning, we're all on a road. We're all on a journey. We always want to be on the right road. I don't want to be on the wrong road. Let's not veer off to the left or to the right. There are things that are going to come against us. You know, the enemy wants to take us into the undergrowth where we trip over the, the vines and the weeds and everything else and we get bogged down with stuff that isn't relevant anymore. Now let's keep on the, the right road. Isaiah 35, 8 says, and there's a highway. <laughs> oh, dear me. I'm not going to read it out to you. I'll let you look it up. Isaiah 35, verse 8. It's the highway. The holy people walk upon it. But let me tell you something. As we journey along our road, yes, we are going to have those pain. We are going to have loss. But we're also going to know that we have God's comfort and care. And then, of course, we can remember on the road that we're walking to look back. And now I look back over 41 years and see what God has done in my life. And I can remember and I can share because of the faithfulness of God, because of the faithfulness of his word, because of the integrity of his word, because of who Jesus is, who sent us his Holy Spirit as the comfort of the paraclete, the one to draw alongside us. That's what the Emmaus Road is all about, the integrity of God's word so that you and I can trust it so that you and I can proclaim it, so that you and I can stand on it, so that you and I can vouch for it. This is the word of God. It is true. It is true. It is true. It's God's word. There is no other book like this book. There is no other book like this book. The king is coming. The king is coming. Are you ready for him? Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? My prayer is that each and every one of us here today knows Jesus as their personal saviour. And if you don't, I know there'll be an altar appeal probably by Steve at the end. If you don't know Jesus, know him. Because this book is true. Heavenly Father, I thank you for that revelation of the Word of the road to Emmaus, that your word is truth, that your word is life, it is living, it's not dead, and that you, Lord Jesus, are the living word. And I thank you, Lord, that you live with us, that you care for us, you protect us, you guide us always on the right road, protecting us. Let us never forget what you've done and the price that you've paid, that we may be free today to enjoy your love, your grace, not just here on earth, but in eternity in heaven with you. In Jesus' name, amen.